0: Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. Thanks for joining today. You guys get to hear us two times in one week, but you guys don't know that. When when these come out, you guys, it'll seem like it's a whole new week. (laughs) Secretly, Kate and I are recording two episodes in one week. We're pulling one over on you. Yeah. (laughs) But not really because I just told you. (laughs) Jokes on us. Uh, Cool. Anyway, (laughs) but no, thank you so much for listening to all of our episodes. We seriously appreciate you guys. We're having. So much fun doing this, and yeah, like getting compliments and it's stuff. A blast from though, friends
1: is like such a—it
0: just really like makes my day. So,
1: and I get to hang out with you like an hour or two a week, I know, and- which is. Ever since you had a kid, like I haven't
0: seen you. 100%. Yes. So that was what, like five years ago. So it's been a long time.
1: It's not like I'm really that social to begin with. So it's It works out. It's a great excuse. Like I get excited when people cancel on me. Oh gosh, I (laughs) I do too. You mean I don't have to go out and interact
0: with people? I know. Isn't that funny? Oh, Especially since COVID. I like, man, when I make plans, 75% of me is like, please cancel. Please cancel. 25% is like, I can do this. Yeah, no part. I know I have to like,
1: like, I have to like Rocky it to to get myself pumped up to go. I know. And then I'm like, oh, I'm here. I know. And Um, hey, we got another uh, tornado warning right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shucksies. Yeah. Well, we're in the basement, so that's great. So guys, we're going to do our best to get to the murder and just know that we are having uh, tornado warnings right now. Severe weather. Yeah, so, it's yeah. springtime in Minnesota. We just, yeah. we just
0: roll with the punches. We will jump right in here just so we can hopefully get this wrapped up. Before Mother Nature murders <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> 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 well, this week I am going to be talking about our oldie. Oldie but a goodie. Yes, an oldie but a goodie for sure. That's what I am. Uh, that's, that's, I know that's a good way to. That's a good way of saying I'm like old but beautiful. You're like I'm yeah. an oldie but a goodie. I'm, I'm like also, a fine
1: wine. I'm like, a like fine I'm an aged wine. Gouda. You can't have
0: just one glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how I found this story? So last year I was in Florida visiting my parents, and there's this bookstore in their town near Clearwater in Florida, and there's this awesome bookstore store there, and they have like it's like new and used. They've got like a great section of used book. I found this old true crime book and I became obsessed with these. They're like 1930s, 40s, 50s. They were five cents at the time. They were like a nickel book. And so I bought like like a penny dreadful. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so I bought one of them. It was like 10 true crime stories, all like all oldies, all things. Of course I hadn't heard about the author for this specific book is Edward Radden. And I went online and bought like every book I could find by Edward Radden, which is really? like only like there were like not very many because they're all like 1930s where they're all like antique books, you know? Oh, okay. So I couldn't find very many and I splurged and bought, like spent more than I should have on a book. They've all been just like, I just have read them in like a day. They're just fantastic. Anyway, all that to say, I read this story in one of those books. It was just a short story in Crimes of Passion by Edward Radden. Ooh. And then I followed it up with the bathtub murder of Crime Club founder Nancy Evans Titterton. I also read a ton of New York Times articles back from back in the day. My sister, thank you, Nikki, gave me her password for New York Times and I just like went crazy. So this is the case of Nancy Titterton. And, um, one thing I had a good laugh at the name Titterton, of course, <laughs> when I first met my brother-in-law. So my brother-in-law is British and Nancy's husband, where she got her last name, also British. When I first met my brother-in-law, I, you know, he can't say his, he doesn't say T's because he's British. So he right. says like, butthole and, yeah. you know, anything where there's a T in the middle, he doesn't say it. So I was like, what do you mean you don't say your T's? And he's like, well, we just, you know, we don't say our T's. And I asked It sounded like you said butthole just now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's bottle not butthole <laughs> butthole he would say similar to yep, bottle buttle. actually but i was like so well then how would you say titter tatter like as if i'm gonna trick him into thinking he he doesn't know how to speak or doesn't know how to say a word and he was like T-a-ta. and i'm like drats you know i for sure thought that that was my big gotcha moment my sister was like you are so dumb Titterton. So, when so I, she'd be Nancy Titterton. T- Nancy Titterton. So as I was reading, I was thinking of you, Daniel, saying Nancy Titterton.
1: Daniel the butthole. Uh,
0: yeah, Daniel the butthole.
1: I'm like a, a bottle of fine wine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Nancy Titterton. She was born in 1903 in Dayton, Ohio, to her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Frank Evans. She graduated high school and then attended college. I think it was Antioch College, again, in Ohio. I'm not sure if it's still around. I meant to look it up, forgot. Yeah, I'm fairly certain Antioch is still around. Okay. So she came to New York and she had dreams of being a writer. She just always wanted to be a writer. And she did get into kind of the book business. She became a book buyer in a department store and went to work in the editorial department of a publishing house. She was working for the New York Post when she met her husband, Louis Titterton. Um, So they were married. Louis and and Nancy were married in 1929. And after getting married, she began writing she like settled down for a little bit as a housewife she's like i'll be a housewife for a little while
1: but, but 1929 like she was writing for the new york times yeah or uh new york post new So york she was post. doing like
0: columns for the new york post oh, and, like, like she's doing like,
1: like edith and down nabby yes exactly oh. exactly yes
0: exactly so after getting married that's when she like took up writing more seriously lewis got a job as an executive and i love this in the book there's so many funny things but in the book it says lewis got a job as an executive at a broadcasting company Later on, I found out it's NBC. So, oh. just a broadcast. But at the time, it was probably just another one of the broadcasting companies. But it's like, no, nope, it was it was NBC. So that was in 1932, <laughs> and she was discovered after she published her first short story and was actually offered a book contract uh, right around 1935. So she was like, she was she was up and coming. She had great she was things coming for her. She was. And her focus was murder mysteries. She established the crime club incorporated, which was a publishing company for crime stories. So she was like a bad bitch. And she was like what we would have been. Yeah, In 1929, we would have just been like part of this crime club. So she was quiet and shy. She was described as a gentlewoman. I'm like, that's an interesting term. Uh, I guess gentleman is a, a term. But a, gentlewoman. a gentlewoman. She was scholarly and ambitious. She previously, before they moved to the address that we'll talk about, um, she had lived in Hell's Kitchen in New York and she moved to Beacom Street, which was kind of like a very quiet area of New York. And they moved because she felt that Hell's Kitchen was like shady. She like put bars on the window. She was always I think she was a true crime writer. So she like knew what shit was out there. Well, I think back then, too, like you're you're looking at, you know, Great Depression.
1: Exactly. Yeah. like People are doing
0: things for doing what they have to do just to, to get by whether or not it's. Yeah, it's right. Don't but judge. I know. So she was in Hell's Kitchen for they were in Hell's Kitchen I think for like between 1929 and 1935 when they did move to this Upper East Side area Beekman Place um 22 Beekman Place is, is the address of of the apartment where they moved in 1935 and she definitely felt safer there it was a it was a nice area upper yeah. side like no shady character exactly it was yeah. it was there was like a countess that that lived next door there was Ooh. somebody for cbs one of the executives for cbs was their neighbors so there were just sounds like, a lot very of bohemian she just she's described a little bit as bohemian yeah she and, like, seems like
1: to you know she lived in hell's kitchen and like she just she went to college which yeah, back then was yeah And to to be a writer and to be a writer and get her MRS. She went and like actually wanted to do something and to actively, you know, get something published and
0: I'm vibing with this. I I love, love Nancy. She's great. So April 10th, 1936, it was a Friday. It was good Friday. So the Friday before Easter and shortly after 4 PM, Two upholsters were returning a love seat that they had worked on for the Tittertons. So they had picked it up the day before. Nancy expressed to them that she really needed this love seat back before the weekend because she was having guests over for Easter. So she's like, bring it back. You know, she, oh, she had sure. them pick it up on Thursday. She's like, I need it back by Friday evening. So these two upholsters, their names are Theodore Kruger and John Forenza, his assistant. They arrived to her apartment. They ring the bell. Nobody's coming to the door. They didn't get an answer and they were like sitting there, like, she told us this was a rush order. Like, what the hell is wrong with this lady? These, like, rich women. oh Like, seriously. Like this yeah. was, They were, like, chatting yeah. about this to each other. And then Kruger, who was the head of upholsterer, told his assistant Fiorenza to go up and knock on her door. Because the, the main door was ajar. So they could get into the apartment building. And they were like, just climb up the four flights of stairs. See if she's in her apartment. Right. Maybe she's, like, maybe this front doorbell is, is not working. So Fiorenza did. And he comes back down. And he's like, super weird thing. Her door is open. It's, like, open a little bit. But I didn't go in because I felt awkward, mm. but like maybe she left it open for us to go in to drop off the, the love seat. Like maybe she's out and about, you know, times were different. Maybe that is something you would do. <sighs> but in New
1: York City. Yeah. I just I find that hard to believe.
0: Yeah. So they were like, well, you know, we should. We This is a rush order. She expressed that she needed it. So they're like, let's bring it in. We'll just leave the love seat where we took it from yesterday. So they go in after knocking several times, making sure like nobody was there. Put the love seat down, and then they said, "Well, you know, we should also get her phone number because we don't have her contact information. Let's find the phone, get her phone number, write it down on a piece of paper so we can call her, let her know what's going on." So Makes they, sense. So Makes they start sense. wandering around the apartment to like find the phone because I'm like, I don't know how this worked, but they had to find the phone to get the phone number for the phone. I don't know if they like would pick it up and call the operator who would then give them the phone number or, or how it works. The phone number is like oh, right. on the phone, right? I'm not sure how it worked, but they needed to locate the phone to get the phone number. So they're That's wandering. That's so around. funny because I'm like, well, couldn't they just call for call one of their cell phones from the phone? I know. Like, can't they Is call phone one or something? <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I remembered 1936. 1936, guys. So this was like a very nice apartment, right? So it's like got this sitting room where they put the love seat. Then they walk through the library. No phone in the library. Then they walk to the next room, which was a bedroom. And there's the phone. And they're writing down the phone number when one of them looks over into the bathroom and notices that the light is on in the bathroom. And they're like, oh, shoot. Like, oh, this is awkward. Like, we're in her room. We're in her house. She's probably in the bathroom. Like, awkward. So they're like, start hollering, like, Nancy or Miss Titterton it's just us we're down the hall like sorry for invading your privacy but nobody answers so they slowly start walking towards the door and they looked in the bathroom the door was cracked and that's when they noticed that there were some feet hanging out of the bathtub and the feet were hanging out as if the person was facing down in the bathtub so they weren't like oh she's taking a leisurely bath they were like something is wrong in there oh like face down like her feet were facing like As though like like, her heels were in the air. Exactly. Her heels are in the air. So obviously they're like, something is is wrong in there. So they run in there. Or so they go in and they find, unfortunately, Nancy Titterton dead in the bathtub. And it was a gruesome scene. Nancy was naked except for her tattered slip and stockings. She was face down in the tub. Her left arm was twisted underneath her. She still had her stockings on, but she was nude. Uh, except for them. And her clothes were torn to shreds. Like an animal went after her. Exactly. And and there were pieces of her her torn blouse and other torn pieces of clothing were essentially tied into a noose around her neck. Oh, and my God. she had God. been strangled. Oh. So both the upholsterer and his assistant were like, Ugh, oh, naturally, just Hey, we out. were just trying to deliver a chair. Right. So the assistant, Fiorenza, managed to like compose himself more quickly. And he runs to the phone, calls the police, and the police get there right away. So any water in the bathtub? There was like a little bit of water as if maybe there, the tub had been dripping. And Okay. But yes, there was a little bit of water in the tub. Okay. And some foam around her mouth, which indicated that maybe she had like inhaled water. Okay. Oh so yeah so unfortunately nancy (sighs) obviously was was dead and in a horrible way in this really nice apartment in this really nice area town so police come to the scene and it was just a very interesting crime scene the apartment was mostly put together other than a bit of disarray in the bedroom so the bedroom had a little bit of like it looked like there had been a tussle in the bedroom okay and then the bathroom but like the living room the library like all of these other adjoining so rooms, she let
1: them in so exactly she had to have let them
0: in so yeah.
1: it was but back then you know that's how you know the boston strangler did it like posed as a service person like oh i'm here to check your gas or right your and that was what the, the boston
0: strangler was the 70s yeah, and, and that of, was like, in the '70s, and like before, like everyone came to your door. Like yeah. people just came to your door. Now somebody knocks on my door, I'm like, get the hell away from me! I don't know who you are. Like yeah. unless you're somebody I know, I'm not answering that door. Yeah, but that yeah, back in the day, it was like people just knocked on the well, door. They, and you like, answer for, like the upholster, right? Like, the upholsters or like a tailor or a deliver anyone delivering anything. Yeah, like, that was just the norm.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember one one serial killer too in like the '20s and '30s. He posed as a magazine photographer or something, and would go to women's and would be like, "Oh, I'm here to take your picture." Like, yeah, and women. I mean, back then they were like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be a model, and I'm going to be discovered." Yeah,
0: I'm going to be on the big screen. (laughs) I'm going to be a star. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, I don't want to be on the big screen. Or want to be a star from some creep that comes to my door and offers to take my picture. No. Well, mm, (laughs) uh, maybe maybe. I Depends Depends (laughs) on who I've spoken with that day. Am I having an introverted or an extroverted day? (laughs) Do I need some validation today? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) So find me on a good day and maybe. (laughs) Maybe. So like I said, the apartment's mostly put together other than just like the bedroom and the bathroom. Her skirt was completely torn up one side. Her bra had been torn off with such force that like the hook and eye had just like flown off. And that's and back
1: when, like, real craftsmanship went into that. Exactly. This, this is, is not a Victoria's Secret bra yeah, this is, that you throw in the dryer. Yeah, this, and then all of a sudden, it's something completely different. <laughs> like, do. wait, did I put a dish towel in here? We're talking a
0: half it's high deep quality, hand half deep hand-stitched. Bra. Yeah, yeah. And though that hook and I was ripped clean off. So they had that. She was just, she was ravaged. Like, her clothes were torn to shreds. They also did find some dried mud on the bedspread. and just Dried a, mud. Dried mud on the bedspread. So maybe like somebody was standing on the bed or something, but dried mud and then a shoe print on the bedspread. It's like just a very faint, like an indentation. They collected fingerprints, they collected a palm print. So they also collected mud from the bedspread. And like you said, it was pretty clear from the get-go that Nancy had let the killers into her apartment. There was no mess in any rooms other than the bedroom and the bathroom. And there were like several rooms leading up to that. So- if she hadn't let them in, you'd think there would have been a struggle in, I mean, in the library or something would have been knocked over in the living room or the entryway. Something. Or she left her door unlocked. That's I true. Mean, That's another option. Like yeah. she could have left her door unlocked and somebody came in and surprised her while she was sleeping or something. But her husband said that morning he had left her, I think, at... Eight o'clock in the morning. And then he called her at 9 a.m. to tell her about like some funny note that he had gotten. So he'd like called her. He left at eight. Oh, he called her at nine like to like, a
1: sweet couple. Yeah. To like
0: call him. Like, he's like, listen to this funny letter I got. Cause he was a writer and I think it was somebody that maybe had written in or, or for the broadcasting company. I'm not sure. Did the but- letter say? Hey, I'm going to murder your wife today. You know, it wasn't something that. There was <laughs> okay. no ransom note, <laughs> it, it, it. nothing creepy. It was just like a funny letter. But then she also got a phone call from a friend right before, like at 1030 that day, because they were going to talk, they were talking about like a, a dinner party that they were going to have. So it was clear that things happened between roughly like 1030 and four o'clock when these pollsters came. So any
1: sign of, I mean, it all points to sexual assault.
0: Yes. And I'm sorry, I didn't mention that. So she was murdered, but she had also been raped.
1: Yeah. So she was sexually
0: assaulted in addition to being brutally murdered. So not only were there, was there not a struggle? They also checked there was dust on the windowsill. So they were like, okay, nobody's like moved these windows in a while. (laughs) They also said, like, the fire escape had just been painted. There weren't footprints on there. So they were like, he didn't come in the windows, didn't come in the fire escape, clearly came through the front door. And they thought it was somebody who she let get physically close to her because they would have had to grab her and basically wrestle around with her. It would have had to be somebody bigger than her. She was a slight woman. Like, I think they said she was roughly 100 pounds. So she was a small woman. Yeah. Yeah. So after they removed her body from the tub, they found a cord, a length of cord that was underneath her. It looked similar to, like, a cord in a blind. So okay. it was, like, not twine, but thicker cord that that would maybe, like, weave into a blind or a lampshade or, or something right, like right, that. Right, right, okay. And it was definitely unique. It was it was different from, like, a binding cord. So they all took, took note of it and obviously brought it into evidence. And it had been used, they could tell, based on the markings, it had been used to bind Nancy's yeah. wrist. Yep. So... Like you, you asked about whether or not there had been any water in the tub. So her cause of death was strangulation from the garments, but they also said she did inhale water. So she was not dead when they put, when the person put her in the tub, but both were contributing factors. Right. Oh gosh. And they estimated that her time of death was between 10 a.m. and noon that day. Well, so, they
1: got, they narrowed it down. I mean,
0: for being 1936, they I narrowed it so, down. Just to wait agree. till you hear the forensics of this. This case like blew my mind. I, I was like, I guess for me, I'm like... I'm thinking, like back in the day, they were solving crimes with like only eyewitnesses and a magnifying like glass. They got a magnifying glass and, and that's, over some footprints, exactly. And like, I'm like, that's yeah. how it was. But no, I was shocked. I'm like, this is some forensic geniuses over here it's it's and weird. they could compare hair back then right and like yeah that yeah. comes into play later actually and so. it actually
1: could compare and maybe this comes into play too but compare different kinds of rope and find out where it came from and who sold it because when it comes to like fibers and threads and and stuff like that like there were only so many many I know it was actually probably back easier then. back
0: yeah. then to do things like that than yeah. it is now yeah so Nancy was buried just a few days later large gathering of people at her funeral. And she was, I thought this was interesting, buried at a cemetery in Scarsdale, which is where Bonnie from our first and second episode, Bonnie Garland, that's where her house was, was in Scarsdale, New York. So just kind of a a interesting tie in there. But the initial investigation showed again that her death was between 10 a.m. and noon that day. But like I said, her friend had called her around 10.30 that morning and said she was by herself at that time. So they're like, it couldn't have been, it wasn't like the person wasn't in her apartment before 10.30. And they said she wasn't hurried in her car with her friend so again it was clear that so she wasn't expecting no that. she wasn't expecting somebody she wasn't trying to free up a phone she call would have said it i would think exactly so the initial suspects obviously the husband is always the first person that's that's looked at but when he was called and notified that nancy had been injured he got home and just absolutely collapsed when he saw what had happened so he was like he was clearly distraught And he gave the alibi that he like left at eight 20 was at work at nine or so called her to chat about some funny note he got and everybody at his office was like, yeah, he was here. There's, there's no way he left. So he was quickly ruled out. Yeah. He was So Lewis was quickly ruled out as a suspect. Now they also, obviously one of the first people they look at is the person who discovers a body. So the upholsterer Kruger was also looked into Kruger had an alibi. He was in the office working on the love seat all day and his partner and his wife both verified this. And Fiorenza said that he was working all day with Kruger. So they just assumed, okay, Kruger and Fiorenza, they were, you know. Did Kruger confirm that Fiorenza was with him? Kruger said he was with him while they were at work. So I don't know if a question got missed there. Uh, Seems like a pretty big question. But the, the answer that was given was like, yeah, we worked together all day, but not like, well, when did you start work or anything like that? Right. So we'll get back to that. Oh, um hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so a delivery boy arrived at 1130 to bring Nancy a dress because she had a big weekend. She was Easter weekend, parties, dinners, all that stuff. And at 1130, when the delivery boy got there, there was no answer to the door. And the boy didn't climb the four flights of stairs to check to see if her door was open because he was like, I'm not going to fucking climb four flights of stairs just <laughs> to get like- nothing. He also had instructions not to deliver the dress if there wasn't an answer on the at the door. So- he keep was kind of quickly ruled out. He was like, oh, they kept him under surveillance because they were a little bit iffy on his alibi, but he was ruled out pretty quickly. But as you well. say boy. Yeah, I know they said boy and I never, I couldn't find his name. The one thing I told you about this before, but obviously there's not a ton of info on this because it's from 1936. So the info I got was like from these two short books and a bunch of, you know, New York Times articles. So I'm not sure how old the delivery I'm just boy imagining was. like a little kid that played stickball I know a page boy he's
1: hat like He's eight. He's like, he's like,
0: hey, he's like hey, running, hey. <laughs> and he's just running I know. I'm chemistry. like picturing the kid from Dick Van Dyke, like the son from Dick I'm Van Dyke. I kids
1: kid. from Newsies. <laughs> it's totally it's funny the where our wrong minds go. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the neighbors also called in and gave a tip about a strange man who had rung her doorbell two times super late at night in the preceding week. And this was kind of I was thinking about this as you were talking about you know people just answering their door, people coming to their door, so. Two different times, and this was the countess who was telling the story. Two separate times, a man in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., came to the door. And he, each time he came to the door, he asked for a different person. And when they were like, that person doesn't live here, he'd be like, well, it's good to meet you. Yeah. And, like, started, really? like, you come here often? And started, like, flirting at <laughs> 2 in the morning. At 2 in the morning. And they're like, get the hell out of here, you weirdo. So they were like, there was this weirdo, you know, it's something you might want to look into. And they actually did find the, the guy. Another neighbor identified him as an actor who was like trying to con women out of money which like i don't know how that spiel worked or what that's at 2 30 in the morning he had nothing to do with the murder he was just a weird creep shucks just one of those run-of-the-mill weird creeps (laughs) it's a clinical term yeah exactly (laughs) so another neighbor god i i would have loved to like be part of this the tips that would probably come in for cases like this in 1930 like think about the housewives that are like yeah, I saw a man in blue overalls. Yeah, yeah, you gotta get him. You gotta track that man down. Yeah, or like my neighbor who I don't really like did this. You know, I can yeah. just imagine the calls they field from just yeah, just nasty. Well, and angry the prejudice, the, right? Like, right? Like, like I was saying, the prejudice. Yeah.
1: Like, well, my sister's husband is Polish. I know exactly. And then they're like, and what else, ma'am? Yeah, that's, that's it. That. Have yeah. you
0: seen the Irish person down the street? I know. I know. I can say it because you're here. I yeah, know. I'm a rock stacker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but a neighbor called in and said that they had seen a man in blue overalls on the day of the murder at 11 a.m. on the roof of Nancy's building. And they were like, he was waving a stick around like he was fighting someone off. And they were like, that's interesting. Maybe he's okay. LARPing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Leave him alone. He was pretending that he's like a gladiator. Just let the guy go. Yeah. Let him live his <laughs> life, neighbor. So the overalls that were described match those of a janitor in the building. His name was Andrew Mings. And the thing about Andrew Mings is he was called, you know, before the police came the day that Nancy was discovered. The upholsters ran and got the the superintendent and the janitor of the building to come up. I guess I don't know what they were expecting them to do, but maybe just to be there for moral support. Hard to say. (laughs) But apparently this gender, Andrew Mings, was like, I don't want to get, I don't want to go in there. He was super hesitant to go in there. Well, which yeah, he would be. I know, which they were like, oh, guilty. I'm like, no, he doesn't want to see a fucking dead body. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Jesus. Like, oh, that's, I smell guilt. I'm like, no, I smell somebody who doesn't want to see a corpse. And doesn't want to barf. <laughs> right, doesn't want to barf. Like, oh, oh, okay. Cool, Okay. So this janitor wasn't excited at the idea of being involved in the investigation. Wasn't excited. Yeah, it wasn't super jazzed. If he jagged. was
1: excited, I would be super suspicious. He's like,
0: okay, yeah. when He's do like, we get started?
1: Yeah. Come on, guys.
0: <laughs> A neighbor also told the police. Some other nosy Nellie claimed that she heard Nancy scream the janitor's name. So scream Andrew Mings the day of the murder on 11. Oh, that's 11. not fair. i like, did she though? Just because he was slow... unclogging her sink she's (laughs) She's like yeah Andrew Mings yeah maybe next time you'll think twice about saying no to unclogging my sink I told you
1: I'd get you (laughs) (laughs)
0: Do you remember how you didn't replace my light bulb in a timely fashion? Well, now I'm going to accuse you of murder. I always win. Tit for tat, tit for tat. (laughs) So, again, not excited about being part of the investigation. He wasn't like really forthcoming and answering questions. I think he was just like, he's probably flustered. So, he was interrogated for six hours and the whole time he's like, no, I'm innocent. I had nothing to do with this. And again, he was like the delivery boy. They let him go, but they kept him under close surveillance because they were like, not 100% sure about that. Now, the day of the murder, there were painters in the building and they were they were painting walls. There were four painters and one of the four hadn't gotten to work yet the time the murder had occurred. There were also reports that there was a smudge of green paint on Nancy's bedspread and the painters were using green paint on the walls that day. So everyone's like, mm, there could be a so connection there. If everyone knows about this report of green paint... You have to wonder how legitimate it is. Right. And that was the thing. At the time, a lot of the information wasn't coming from cops. It was coming from reporters. Yeah.
1: So there were reporters like... Because they could just run wild with what... There was no, like... Verifying sources or anything like that. No, it was like, just very was, much
0: like, yeah, there wasn't any sort of like, like integrity with goes. journalism. It was, yeah, we say what we want to say, whatever will get ratings, whatever will get people to buy our papers. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I libel and slander probably. I'm not sure when those like types of civil suits came about. I should, but I, I'm sure that it was after this time period. Oh, for sure. So, The painter was adamant that he had not been in Nancy's apartment, hadn't even been on the floor that day, said he was innocent, and ultimately they determined that the paint on Nancy's bedspread, which was actually there, they said it was likely that it had come from her clothes. Like she was probably walking in the hallway, bumped into the wall, and transferred the paint onto her bedspread. Okay. So again, the painter was cleared. They also got tips that there had been a door-to-door salesman uh, in the area that day. He actually was charged in another murder that occurred around the same time where a woman was beaten to death he was just a creepy guy and I don't know a whole lot of information about that particular crime but he was thought to have been perhaps in the same area that day they questioned him and he wasn't in the area he had an alibi so he was just guilty of another senseless murder not this one
1: that sounds like maybe it was like
0: Someone he knew, or you know, yeah. It typically, was. beating is like, yeah, yeah. That I uh, to go into it a little bit. He like offered two women, two sisters, a ride home. When they said no, he grabbed one of them and and took her and and oh yeah. So it was like it was a, it wasn't he wasn't like performing his duties as a door to door salesman when it happened. He was just happened to be a door to door salesman that committed a crime. Well, so this investigation was huge. Apparently, they had sixty five detectives that were working on the case. And they were, like, working around the clock every day. They were just working really hard to try and figure out what was going on. And in the meantime, they're
1: doing surveillance on these two guys, which surveillance from 1936, I Uh, imagine, is, like, a guy sitting on a bench holding a newspaper. Right. With, like, a black suit and and like a hat. Yeah. And a pork pie hat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Or a fedora. (laughs) And then he
0: like, every once in a while, he lowers his paper. Yeah. Like, that's... Very Soviet Union. Yes! (laughs) Like, some sort of spy movie. (laughs) So what sort of evidence are we working with? So there was quite a bit of evidence that the police were able to obtain at the scene. So there was that footprint uh, on the bedspread. It was like a faint indentation. Unfortunately, it was too faint to get a shoe size. They could just tell that it was likely a men's shoe. They were like, it's a big shoe print, but they couldn't really tell. Oh God, a woman would never step on her own right. bed. No, it's, like, no, it's how do you, oh. what a monster. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was one step too far. Well, clearly. <laughs> I see what you did there. Gotta I love Love I me a pun. I, me I, yeah. a pun. <laughs> so there was also a uh, handprint on the bedside table, but they weren't able to connect it really to anything. So there was the cord found under Nancy's body and it wasn't a particularly unique type of cord, which made identifying it almost impossible. I mean, right. it was like, it was unique enough where they were like, ah, this is, this is different, but they spent weeks analyzing it and trying to figure out, like you said, where the different, the, how it's tied, exactly, what, it,
1: what it's like. Yeah. And like where the fibers come from, where the fibers come from, who sells this type of.
0: So they were able to identify where it came from after Weeks of analysis. That's impressive. Yeah, they, there were so, it was very interesting because New
1: York City is not a small place. No, and it wasn't a small place back in 1936. And they had, they were, they had hundreds of places that they reached out to about the
0: cord. So the cord was identified as coming from the Hanover Cordage Company in York, Pennsylvania. So it was from Pennsylvania. What the fuck? So not only were they able to figure out where the cord came from, they figured, they looked at the list of where they had sold that particular cord to. And one of the places was the Kruger upholstery company. I knew it. I knew it. So in addition, I told you that there was mud, you know, specks of mud and bits of mud in, in these shoe prints as well. Nothing really to identify where it came from. And they were like, maybe it came in from the officers who were going in and out that day, but in the mud after analyzing the mud there was like a piece of hair there was like a piece of hair and then they found several more pieces of hair in the mud bits and they tested it and found out it wasn't just hair it was horse hair not a ton of horses in New York at the time the article said but I'm like I, don't know, I guess I picture in the 30s that like New York had like a ton of horses maybe i'm just like thinking like you're i think you're thinking a little bit central
1: park earlier that yeah yeah but keep in mind like henry ford had already right yeah like no horses were around until at least 1950 (laughs) i mean the police were still riding horses um i would think horse hair i would think furniture
0: bingo so bingo horse hair was used in upholstery to stuff furniture yep so now the police had two things that tied either Kruger or Fiorenza to the crime scene, and they had investigated Kruger quite a bit. Like I said, they he had an alibi. And his, his wife, wife his yeah. wife had gave the alibi, which isn't always like the most. Is it always reliable? I mean, he was he seemed like a, an honest guy, but they hadn't looked into Fiorenza other than. Kruger saying yeah he was with me at work all day so the police officers head to the upholstery shop and Kruger is there and police are talking to him and they took samples uh, from the cord in the shop and Kruger again told the officers like me and friends and we're together after we opened that day but then he made a snide comment about how Fiorenza was late for work and they had to open later than normal because and he was upset because it was like he's like, oh, of course Fiorenza's late on a rush ship day or on a rush order day. Well, that would have been nice to know. And they're like, like I think they like I'm honestly like I Seems like they didn't ask the question. like, And they, they weren't going to just volunteer right, the He probably wasn't like, he wasn't thinking like, it's, I got to tell them all about my partner. Because he was thinking like, he this prob- guy is my like, partner. He's like, we discovered the body together and he seemed just as appalled as me. Exactly. So this was obviously the first that they had heard that like, Fiorenza hadn't potentially been with him like, In the morning, Kruger said that Fiorenza had gotten in late that day because he had been with his probation officer. (gasps) He's a criminal. So Fiorenza had called. He's like, but it's okay. Like he was with his probation officer. He was at the courthouse that day. Like, it's totally legit. And the police officer were like, no, no, this was Good Friday. Courts were not open on Good Friday. That's right. So they were like, no, the courts were closed. Fiorenza's lying. They also found that the cord from the store did match the cord that was under Nancy's body. So the wheels are starting to turn. Things are starting to like come full circle and they're like, Oh, and he thought that he, you know, bamboozled them. Exactly. Because, Oh, well I was one of the ones that discovered the body. Exactly. Like just, just thought that he was going to just like fly under the radar. And they also, and In this in the book that I read after discovering the body, he also went to like to the kitchen to grab a glass of water. Kruger's like, well, maybe he was just thirsty. And like, that's how he deals with like being shocked about it. But I think that maybe he went to try and put his prints in the apartment, like have a
1: reason to have his his prints in other places in the apartment. Yep, that's exactly what he was doing.
0: So who was Fiorenza? So John or Johnny Fiorenza. He was 24 years old. And he was a high school dropout. He was described as dim witted. He was engaged to a 24 year old woman named Pauline. And the day of the murder, he actually called Pauline right afterwards. And had, like, a loving conversation with her. He spent Easter with her. And they were, like, cheersing to their happiness and their life together. And she just, like, through all this was like, I cannot. Like, she couldn't bring herself to believe that he could ever do something like this. Kruger said that he thought Fiorenza was honest and reliable and he trusted him. Like, Kruger and his wife trusted Fiorenza with, like, their six-year-old daughter. They were like, he was a trustworthy guy. He was very soft-spoken. Really didn't talk a lot. But, like, we always believed that we could trust him. So what was his... He was... So he was on probation. Parole. Oh, okay. okay. Yep. Yeah, so he was on, or he was on parole. He had been arrested two times for stealing cars, and one time for stealing literally band instruments. He stole a bass drum, which I'm like, that's. Sweet. I mean, I'd probably that's hire like,
1: that guy. Like, I just wouldn't
0: give him my keys, right? Like, like he, yeah. it's, it's not like violent. I mean, it's it's just like theft. There was also um, in one of the books I read. It sounds like he he wasn't convicted, but he may have been involved in previous attacks against women. They may have tied him to some things after the fact. Oh, after the fact. So mm-hmm. it sounds like he, like there was an incident where he attacked a woman at gunpoint and raped her. And then he was also like, he was also tied to some peeping Tom allegations. That's so, how they get started. So yeah, so I think he had, he was... Going down a, a pretty creepy path from the get-go. Pretty creepy path. <laughs> the creepiest path. Some might say the creepiest path. <laughs> so he had he was in prison, obviously, for for stealing cars and, and stealing instrument, instruments until 1933. And while he was in prison, a jail doctor said that Fiorenza was a potential psychotic. He said he's likely to graduate from theft to a violent crime. So the psychologist in prison was like, this guy is a creep. And And then he can just sit back and smoke a cigar and say, told you so. Fiorenza was obviously taken in for questioning after the cord and the horse hair and his alibi fell through. And when he was given the evidence that the courts were closed on Good Friday, he was like, oh, shit, well, I better change my story. So he said that he was lying because he didn't want Kruger to know that he had just taken the day off and wanted to walk around because it was so nice out. So he's like, no, I didn't kill her. I just was walking around. Dude. I just was having a great day. Because
1: there was so much emphasis on mental health and enjoying yourself back then. Right. It was not a mental health day. No, it was a, you work every second
0: you can so you can get a paycheck. Right. And he was making like $10 a week. I'm yeah, like, yeah, you're you're working for that money, bro. Like yeah. you need that money. No, you don't just take your day off to stroll around, right? Like, and so all night he was interrogated, all day, all night he continued denying any involvement in the murder. And then the the cops came up with this scheme to be like, well, actually, we found uh, a cab driver that identified you. Oh my God. And so they brought this cab driver and it was actually just another police officer. Oh, the guy my- was like, him. <laughs> like all dramatically pointed at him. And he's like, oh, like <laughs> hiding his fingernails. <laughs> and that's- you got me. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he finally admitted to raping nancy but he's like yeah i raped her but i didn't kill her like when i left her she was just like i raped she her. just has really bad luck died. like yeah so that confession you know went further and he finally did confess after a long interrogation to not only raping her but killing her as well and i always wonder like in the 1930s what what interrogations looked like i'm like you probably didn't let him eat or sleep no and you then- were like probably beating him up you brought like all oh, the this- light that hit yeah, exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. You're sweating. There were no oh, standards. Oh, they beat the shit out of it. There were just no standards on it. No. Like, like, there were no
1: Miranda rights. No. Like, what are you talking about? It's still like this, but I think to a greater extent back then, it was all very political. And it right. was like, the public really wants us to get someone. And then they just get the first likely guy and they're like, you did it. And then
0: they put him away. So, the confession after, you know, after this long interrogation, he finally confesses. And and what he says is that he saw Nancy the day before when he and Kruger went to pick up the love seat and he just became infatuated with her. He said that night he brought court home from work and he knew what he was going to be doing. He was going to break in and rape Nancy the next day. He stayed home from work and around 11, he went to Nancy's and he rang the bell and told her he had come to check where they were going to put the love seat. So she, of so course, let him
1: in. He had a night. Yeah. He slept on it. Like
0: literally, he slept literally, on the he slept. On it, and, and he went. He went for it. Premeditated. meditated <laughs> So he rang the bell. Nancy let him in. They walked through the foyer. They walked through the living room, and we're like, "Oh, this is where we're gonna set." You know, she's like, "We'll just put it where we originally had you take it from." And he was like, "Well, maybe it would look better elsewhere. Should we like look around your house?" And she's like, "Good idea." So then she leads him into the library, and like, not quite here, and then into the bedroom. And once they were in the bedroom, he grabbed her. And just started to rip off her clothes. I mean, frenzied attack. Right. I mean, her clothes like her her skirt was ripped in half. Her bra was ripped off. Like oh, her clothes were completely she, ripped. She must have been so scared. And then he made a noose out of her torn clothes. Which I'm like, logistically, how did that happen? And Jesus Christ, what kind of a monster does that?
1: Well, and that's the thing is, I was also thinking the footprint on the bed. He's probably like kneeling bunker, on her. Right. Or like something for leverage to strangle her and yeah. she can do nothing. Exactly. It's total, total blitz attack. But in his mind, completely planned.
0: He knew what he was going to do. Absolutely. Oh God. So he put the noose around her neck. He tied her hands with the cord and then he raped her. And he said that while she was struggling as she was being raped, she was strangled. He said like her body went limp and he, he thought she was dead. And he panicked and he put her in the tub in, a, in an attempt to, like, hide her body. He so, panicked? Right. So, it's, okay, he she he put a noose around her neck. Right. Like, what did you think was going to He's happen? He's like, oops, she died. Mm-hmm. Like, that's clearly what you wanted. Like, yeah, a noose strangles people. That's yeah. the point of it. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so he put her in the tub and attempt to hide it. And he thought he had grabbed all the cord. He cut the cord off her hands, thought he had grabbed all of it. But obviously in his frenzy to leave. And get out of the apartment as quickly as he could. He left the piece of cord under her body, which was his undoing. A month later, one month later, I know we talked about this, like, I think last episode, how quickly trials happened, like back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. literally one month later the trial started. Well,
1: that's what I'm saying, though, with all the people that are wrongly convicted, it's because they just expedite their trials yes. and they're like, you're done. Like, one month. Yeah. One
0: month. Yeah. How did they even analyze all that shit a month, like in a month? No. I don't get it. No. So a month later, the prosecutor was William Dodge and the defense attorney was Henry Clouber. And Henry Clouber made two different arguments. One that he wasn't guilty because he didn't do it. Second was he's not, even if you find that he did do it, he wasn't guilty because he was insane. So as far as who did do it, he claimed that there was a witness who was assaulted in the same building a couple of days before. And he called this person as a witness to come and testify to that. But then they found out that that witness had like given a fake name and wasn't really a person. So that fell through. Way to do your research. (laughs) Right. And then as far as him having an alibi, his alibi was his mom. His mom was like, no, he was in bed until 11 a.m. that day. And they, again, they just like ripped it up. As far as the argument that he was insane, they claimed that Fiorenza had a split personality or schizophrenia during and before trial Fi- Fiorenza was and this was a quote from one of the articles seemingly indifferent to the seriousness of of the case so he just kind of had this aloof look on his his face the whole time which obviously you can fake that but as i said in 1933 when Fiorenza was in prison for stealing a bass drum a doctor diagnosed him as schizophrenic but in addition people who knew him said he was like super slow and quiet his own stepdad said that he had only heard him talk six or seven times in the 11 years that he knew him.
1: Oh my God. Can you imagine that?
0: And psychiatrists who uh, looked him over said that he had the mental age of somebody that was only like 14 or 15.
1: Oh, well, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, mentally incapacitated, but obviously- Smart enough to know I'm gonna take some
0: rope from work and exactly. And that's that's what the prosecutor said. He's like, Yeah, no, clearly he knew what he was doing. He took the rope from work, he was like gleefully tossing the rope in garbage cans on his way home because like and he talked his way to the back of her apartment. Right. And like Like, so there are all these things that showed that like he knew what he was doing. And the neurologist who testified that he was insane also admitted, like the defendant knew what he was doing when he was throwing the cord away. He knew what he was doing when he's repairing. So hard to argue. He went with Kruger the next day. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Or later that day, yeah. But the defense attorney harped on the doctor in 1933 in prison saying he is psychotic. He is going to move from crimes that involve theft to violent crimes. And he was like, this isn't anyone's fault other than the state of New York for letting him out. Like the state of New York acknowledged that he was a risk and they they let him out of jail. I mean, I kind of agree with that. This is is very interesting because one of the articles I read was really fascinating. This is an article in 1936 and this article highlighted the need for more help for those suffering from mental illness. It was like even in 1936, they recognized the need yeah. for mental health help. Yeah. And yeah, in, in this article, there's no place where the probationer in this case could have received free treatment by a psychiatrist and just harped on the fact that this guy needed help and he didn't, they, we just like tossed him out on the street and this could have been avoided if the state would have done something.
1: Yeah, it still doesn't mean that he's not culpable for his crimes. Right. But but yeah, I do
0: agree with that. I do agree with that. Yeah. So it also I was like, God, in 19, the things that we're talking about in 1936, we're still talking about today, like we need to do better. You know, we need to have better mental health care. We need to work better towards understanding and uh, acknowledging the huge problems that are posed by people with untreated mental health conditions.
1: Yes, it is sad to think that we're saying the same thing that we were, you know, a hundred years ago. But we have made strides. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's we don't definitely, do
1: lobotomies anymore. Right.
0: And I, mean, I I work for an awesome company that gives us mental health days. Like tomorrow I have the day off for a mental health day. Like that's That is awesome. You know, these are these are great things. So in addition, Fiorenza repudiated his confession. His mom gave him the alibi and said that he didn't leave his home until like 11. And he said that the details of the crime had been suggested to him by police and made that argument that someone else had had attacked nancy it wasn't him interesting it is interesting and i'll talk i want to get through it but then i kind of want to loop back to my personal feelings about all of this but so the jury deliberated for 11 hours before letting the jo- the judge know yeah. at 2 a.m that they were deadlocked on whether or not he was insane they were like we can't come to a conclusion on this like we need we need a break it's 2 a.m like we've been here for yeah for 10 hours like so they're like can we just like peace out to a hotel room for the night have have a break the judge was like hell no you guys are staying in there until you come to a verdict one way or the other holy shit and it was clear that this judge judge charles not had an opinion on the case and so literally locked them in the room and were like come to a decision on whether or not he's insane or you're not getting out which today would be completely unethical <laughs> and absolutely be a cause for a mistrial. But at 10 a.m. they did pronounce uh, Fiorenza. They had found Fiorenza was guilty of murder. Wait at 10 a.m.? So eight hours later. So they were like stay in here until you come to a decision. to know what they for hours. sure have then. They probably took a nap during that time. A honestly. shit closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if they were locked in there there's, shit covered. there's no doubt that they've got a shit covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I hope that Judge Not had to clean it out. Yeah. <laughs> because he seemed the like <laughs> like a real, I don't know. But he praised the jury, said, like, you couldn't have possibly come up with a different conclusion based on the evidence. So obviously you guys made the right decision, which... Or they just said, okay, fine. Yeah, or they were just, like, tired and were like, whatever. So Judge Knott also sentenced Fiorenza to death. So he he gave him the death sentence for this. <sighs> so Henry Claude were tried appealing the conviction first. And when that wasn't successful, also tried appealing the death sentence being like he was crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure if the death penalty is weren't you know,
1: yeah, I have my my own feelings feelings. about the death penalty. But But, yeah, in that case, I, I just feel like this, this guy who, you know, has the mental capacity of a 14 year old, and yes, he committed this horrible crime. But if you've been diagnosed by two, three separate doctors as having a serious mental
0: illness, that's how I feel about it, too. So so, yeah, he asked for clemency. He tried to appeal and it was everything was denied. So January 21st, 1937, literally six months after this crime or like eight months after he was electrocuted at Sing Sing. So See, don't you think, though, this is that pretty white girl syndrome? Yeah, I mean, she was like a very she yeah. was a, a rich white person and they needed justice. And so he didn't have any last words. He spoke with a priest shortly before saying like he felt sorry that he had caused his mother all this trouble and just felt bad, but, but no final words or anything. And he was the second of four people electrocuted that night. So they were just pumping, like, God, yeah. old Sparky was getting- That's how they did it back then. I just was like, four fucking people in one night? Yeah, so- That is the unfortunate demise of Nancy Titterton. My feelings about it are honestly, I have my doubts about whether or not Fiorenza was actually guilty. Like in, in, and I know that might sound crazy because there is a lot of evidence, but the evidence is all very like Like the the mud that they found, like that also could have been like transferred to the bedspread from, like he was in the apartment. Like he was obviously there. And the chord to me is like is is difficult to to describe. But like I said when we were talking about the interrogation, like I don't doubt that they were like they were desperate to find somebody who killed this this rich woman. And they why were, not pick a slow Italian right, kid? And some Ooh. guy who like who would who would say just about anything to like have to to get out of like an interrogation or at the very least i think he was actually like not mentally competent based on what i read and no one's looked into this cuz 1936 like it's it whatever i haven't seen anything since yeah not a whole lot of information about it but my personal feelings are I don't know if he was actually the one. And if he was, I also really think that he was mentally incapacitated. I mean,
1: if I had to, to draw a conclusion based off of what you've told me and what was available, what evidence was available, I would say he did it. Just because, not based off a confession, but because his so-called alibi of going for a walk or whatever, there were no witnesses that came forward to say that they saw him. Yeah. And I think that'd be something that, like,
0: I, I you can't really go under the radar in New York City. So. Right. I definitely, like, I definitely lean towards that, that he was probably the one that that committed the crime. But I, I also lean towards the fact that I, do, I don't. I definitely don't think he should have been executed. I think he was absolutely mentally incapacitated either, not just at the time of the crime, but also like just in general, I don't think he was, he was all there. I mean, to only talk to your stepfather like five or six times in over 10 years is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think he was mentally stable enough to be, to really understand what he had done. I mean, I think he probably understood it, but I don't think he, really. I think he belonged to in an institution. Exactly. Yeah. And that not to say that would have been better. I mean, honestly, that probably back the then worst. it probably wouldn't been better but just the comments from the judge it just really put a bad taste in my mouth Of like oh this guy was clearly guilty and like you guys made the right decision and and like how he locked him away to like come to yeah so they were exhausted they were exhausted and... and he didn't get like it was just icky it's not a good feeling it's not like one of those where i'm like clearly he did it and clearly he deserved this punishment and like this guy sucked it was like he he was obviously a creep he obviously like not a good man obviously very likely if not definitely killed nancy titterton but at the same Point in time, was he mentally aware? Was he well? Back then, there were
1: so many vendors and, you know, milkmen and mailmen and upholstery and you know, dry cleaners. There are so many people that stop by because you want to ask yourself like, well, if it wasn't him, who, who would it have been?
0: Exactly. Who knows? It could have been anyone. Her house, her house could have been open. I don't know. And I'm like, I said, I'm not saying that he didn't do it because I think he probably he did. probably did. But yeah. I also think that he was suffering from some serious mental disease. I don't think he understood his actions. Exactly. That's yeah. how I feel about it too. So huh. Rest in peace, Nancy Titterton. You also sounded like a badass crime loving. Yeah, you. You're bringing friend. You're, you're bringing some pretty badass ladies to the table. I, know. I always, whenever I'm doing this research, I'm always like, I want to hang out with her. Yeah. So we'll post some images of all of this stuff to our Instagram, and as always, you can follow us there at Premeditated Podcast. Please like us and follow us and subscribe and share our podcast with all your friends. With all your friends and leave us positive. Feedback. No less than four stars. Yeah. But no, please like, subscribe, share with friends. Uh, we've had great feedback. So I like tend to think that we're actually kind of good at this, which is fun. I, so you know, you know, it's, please. I,
1: I like to think it's because we really are passionate about this. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I like about to I like, true crime and we're, we're excited to share things. If
0: you feel the need to shoot us an email, you know, whether that be to tell us how rad we are or if oh you want to. yeah that's right rad Rad. Rad. or if you want to share something creepy that happened to you oh my god yes that would be amazing that that you're interested in that you think we should look into please do our email is the premeditated podcast at gmail.com we haven't received any emails yet so i'm like can't wait for that first one (laughs) to like break the seal and be like no dick pics I've already got a load of those in my email. (laughs) I don't want to look at that email. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. And as always, tell your folks we says hi.